All right, you can open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, please, verse number 40. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 40, and we'll do quite a bit of reading. We're going to finish the chapter by the grace of God today. I'd like to preach to you about a manifestation of Jesus' great power and patience. His great power and patience. Luke chapter 8, and I'd like to give you a fancier title. I tried to actually come up with a few, but I think the straightforward approach is going to be better here. Because I think that's what we're getting in this uh, passage, is a manifestation of his great power and his great patience. Luke 8 and verse 40, the Bible says, It came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. I hope that's the kind of reception he gets when he comes at the rapture. Wouldn't that be something if all of God's people were waiting for him? (laughs) They were waiting for him. He got back, and and you can read in other Gospels, uh, a a multitude gathered around him to hear him preach. Now, the story goes on, verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a dying. And he was, uh, but as he went, the people thronged him. To be thronged as you're crowded. In verse 43, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians. Amen, that happens. Neither could be healed of any. Amen, that happens. Verse 44, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? You can hear him almost giggle as he says it. Verse 46, And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Virtue is a spiritual strength. And he knows some of that just went out. Some of my grace, mercy, love, compassion, I can feel that it just went out. Verse 47, and when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She, de- she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And then the story switches back. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. Jesus is using a bit of a play on words because sleep is often used to refer to death, but he knows what he's about to do. So he's drawing a bit of a distinction. This is not a permanent thing. She's about to wake back up. Verse 53, And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. 
and her spirit came again. And she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. So if you would bow your heads with me, I'm going to ask Brother Armand if you can please pray for us, sir, as we start. Amen. Amen. I, I looked at this passage many times this week and thought about preaching over the next month or so to cover these handful of verses. There's just so much in it. And I have in years gone by preached out of both of these stories. I've preached out of it as one collective story. So I know there's a lot to be said. I am by by God's grace, however, going to look at the whole passage, what we've just read, and, and point some things out. And we are going to talk a little bit about Jairus and his situation and, and how he handled it. We'll talk about the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And we'll, we'll see today their desperation and their side of the story. But what I'd really like to primarily focus on is how Jesus responds to these things, how he reacts to their pleas of desperation. And there's two things, I think, that really shine forth in the passage. I've said great power and patience, and let me explain further what I mean. First of all, we see some great pictures of Jesus' saving power. Great pictures of Jesus' saving power. Let me walk you through some of these. There are a lot of them, so let me move quickly. Verse number 44, the Bible says here, this woman came behind him and touched the border of his garment and immediately her issue of blood stanched. Throughout the Gospels, when you read about some physical miracle of healing taking place, it often draws a really nice picture of the healing of the soul that happens when somebody gets saved. So yes, what we're reading is a physical miracle. It was just her issue of blood that got taken care of here. But it's a good picture of what God does inside of somebody with their soul the moment they reach out for Christ. The Bible says in verse 44, immediately. So can I just say this about getting saved? The moment you call upon the name of the Lord, that moment, you are saved. You are as saved as saved can be. I thank God we don't have to wait until the day of judgment to find out whether or not we're saved. Aren't you glad this morning that you can say, I know that I'm saved because I'm not trusting what I'm doing. I'm trusting what Jesus Christ has done. And when you take your faith out of what you're doing and put your faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross, listen to how this works. He said, it is finished the work of salvation done and when you receive that as the payment for your sins friend the bible says by grace ye are saved it didn't say by grace you will be saved by grace ye are saved now are we the sons of god the bible says and it doth not yet appear what we shall be for we shall be like him we shall see him as he is one day yes we are going to receive a glorified body and thank god it doesn't look like this forever <laughs> Amen, that's wonderful news. But right now, I know in my soul, my body's not saved yet. Your body's not saved yet. We can all say amen to that. 
But if you've received Christ as your Savior, if you, like this woman, have reached out and grabbed hold of Him by faith, friend, you are saved. Immediately, you got saved. You know what else happens in this passage? Look at verse 47. The Bible says at the end of the verse, for what cause she touched Him and how she was healed immediately. Do you see that? She came trembling. She knew. She declared unto all the people. She's telling them, I know that I've been healed. She knew it the moment she grabbed hold. She knew she was saved. It's one thing to, for the Bible to say you're saved. It's another thing for you to feel inside, I'm saved. You know what's wonderful about having all of your sins forgiven? It's strange, right? You can't see the pile of sins that you carry around as a lost man, but you can feel it. Boy, you can feel it. You know how many times I've heard this testimony, and it is my testimony as well. I walked into my pastor's house, a lost man, at the age of 20, 3rd of August, 1996. I got down on his floor and asked Jesus Christ to save me. Immediately, I felt better. I rose up from that floor and started to walk out of that house, and I felt lighter. I knew, I, if you were to ask me, what happened to you? I probably couldn't have put it into words. I wouldn't have known the verses to show you. I didn't know any, I didn't know the depths of how much he had just done for me. All I knew was I walked in heavy. I walked in worried. I walked in scared. I walked out with great assurance. I walked out with peace and joy and a lightness in my soul. And it happened immediately. I like that about salvation. As we can see in these two verses and in this passage in whole, as a whole, uh, one touch was enough. You notice that? She came to Jesus and she grabbed hold of his garment and immediately she was healed. She didn't have to come back next week for a follow-up touch. <laughs> she, she got healed and that was the end of the problem. When you come to Christ and say, please save me, you are saved. You don't need to get resaved and resaved and resaved. Salvation, listen, is not a process. Amen. It's an event. Do you understand that? Salvation is not a process. Growth is a process. Growing as a child of God is a process, but being born again is an event, right? We mark the event in our world with birthdays. This is the, this is the day that marks the event when you were not in this world and boom, you're in this world, just like that. Now, the growth takes time and effort, but one touch was enough. You get born again, friend, and that's it. You're in the family of God and nothing can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 43. There's something else you can see. The Bible says she spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. Another thing I'll tell you about the greatness of Jesus' power and salvation. All the other things you can try to save yourself with, just a waste of time. Nothing compares to what Jesus can do. She went from doctor to doctor trying to find help and wasted her time and money for 12 years. Friend, you can try whatever you'd like. Give money, join a church, feed the poor, read the Bible, try your best to keep the Ten Commandments. You won't, but you can try. you just be wasting your time. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. You're not going to find help anywhere else for your soul except in the Lord Jesus Christ. We had a situation yesterday. One of the guys that were out witnessing bumped into somebody that had pretty much given up on the idea of God and anything spiritual. His life is a wreck. 
And he said, you know, I'm just fed up with going to churches and trying this and that. He said, the last time I tried, I went into the church and they said, just keep coming. Don't worry. One of these days you'll speak in tongues and everything will be fine. He says, I I went back and I went back and nothing happened. So I'm just done with it. Well, the problem is they're trying to get him to follow that church's tradition. They're not trying to get him to Christ. The answer is get the man to Christ. And that's not a waste of your time. Look at verse 48. I'll tell you another picture of salvation we have in this. He said, daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. You know what happens after you get saved? Jesus, through the Holy Ghost, gives you a great and blessed assurance that you are saved. She was healed, right? Was she not made whole? But then afterwards, Jesus takes a moment to assure her of what had just happened. You know what the Bible says about us? That the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. After you get saved, you know what will happen? Inside of you, God will begin to talk to you and deal with you as He would His child. He doesn't deal with you the same way as He would an unsaved sinner. If you are His child, He'll begin to talk to you as a father would talk to a son or a daughter. And you'll start to see a difference in in your relationship and your interactions with God. Something down inside will say, I'm different now. And Jesus will come and give you this assurance to say, you can go in peace. You don't have to walk around uh, on eggshells the rest of your life wondering, am I saved? Am I going to make it? Does God truly love me? This is what the Lord does after you get saved. He, He puts you near a Bible so the Holy Spirit can show you through His Word, this is what's happened to you. You can walk, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you something else in verse 49. Great pictures of God's power and salvation. It says, While he yet spake, there cometh one of the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Can I just say that no case is too far gone for the Lord. It doesn't matter how far gone you are in sin. It doesn't matter how depraved you are. Maybe you think there's no way back from what I've done. That's probably what the people in that house were thinking. There's no way back from this. The maiden is is past. She's done. That's it. There's nothing we can do. Not for Jesus. Friend, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how dead you feel in your sins. Thank God our salvation doesn't depend on how we feel. Jesus can still offer hope. And Jesus knows that what's impossible with men, impossible for men, it's possible with God. He can put that camel through the eye of the needle. So maybe you think that you're not worth saving or too far gone. That's not true. It'll work. One last thing I want to point out about this passage. Among the many things that we see here, and really you see it in the whole passage, I guess, but in verse 41, Jairus falls down before Jesus and begins to pray, yes? He begins to pray. He besought the Lord. Can I just say that prayer works? Prayer on the behalf of somebody else. Please, God, that person's in horrible danger. They need help. That works. You can move the heart of God. You can get Jesus to stop what he's doing. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And head off straight for that sinner to help that person. Prayer makes a difference. Jairus wasn't anything. He wasn't a spiritual giant. He was a religious man, but he wasn't a spiritual giant. 
He came with a broken heart. He didn't have any fancy words. He just came with a broken heart and said, Jesus, you're the only one that can help. Please step in and do what no one else can do. These are all wonderful pictures that pertain to salvation. And, and forgive me, there is one more thing I, I think we're worth pointing out at the end of the passage verse 55 after this young lady is risen from the dead in verse 55 her spirit comes again she arose straightway and Jesus says he commanded to give her meat after you have been born again and regenerated you have life from on high you know what you need you need to get fed as soon as you get saved it's time to start getting fed the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He said, now listen, I know she's 12, she's almost a teenager, and you'd think, well, that, you know, she's hungry because she's a teenager. Okay, that's true, amen. I, t teenagers can just about eat you out of house and home. I mean, they have an appetite and a half. But this young, have, didn't, didn't you find this after you got saved? Didn't you have a spiritual hunger deep down in you where you just wanted to know more and more and more about the Lord that's now living inside of you? Jesus commanded, get her some food. What did Jesus tell the apostles? Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Go tell them how to get saved, baptize them to show who they're following, and start teaching them. So friend, if you have never been discipled, if you have never been taught the Bible, you need to avail yourself of that. We, we, can we call it a spiritual feeding program? <laughs> we, got a, we got a pretty consistent and constant feeding program here in our church. We get the Word of God in you almost every day of the week. We got discipleship on Tuesday night. We got Bible school on Wednesday night. We have a midweek service on Thursday where we have a Bible lesson. Friday we had a student lesson. Saturday we go out evangelizing and here we are on Sunday. We'll give you a break Monday and then right back at it. Amen. <laughs> right back at it. If There's really no excuse for you not being fed. Not with that feeding schedule around. After you get saved and Jesus gives you life, it is time to get fed. So can you see there's lots of things we can learn from the passage about salvation and how Jesus has power to do so. And now I want to move on to another point that I think comes out clearly in this. The great patience of the Savior. The great patience of the Savior. So let me work this out with you a little bit. Jesus, as you know, I think this is a common knowledge, He was a very busy man. <laughs> is that a fair statement? I mean, everywhere he went, obviously in the beginning people didn't know who he was, but as time went on, everywhere he went, people would crowd around. And we can see this, is, this story is no exception. By the way, right after this story, do you know what Jesus does? You can look at chapter 9, verse 1. He called the 12 disciples and sends them out. You know why? He realizes there's so much to do. There is so much to do. There are so many people requesting his time and attention. He had to call for help. So that's a good lesson, guys. If you're too busy with life, call, call, call in some help. <laughs> Delegate some of that stuff. Jesus did. But I want you to see that as busy as he was, he did not mind people coming to him asking for help. He doesn't mind the imposition. Jesus can be incredibly patient with your, can I use the term, constant nagging? <laughs> Don't you ever feel like you're nagging the Lord? 
Lord, I, I got myself into another mess. Please help me. God, I messed up again. Please help me. God, I need this. God, help me with that. And we, all my, I mean, those of you that are sensitive to such things and not selfish, you know, you, you, you start to wonder, am I, am I maybe being a little too, too much for the Lord? No. He doesn't mind. Jesus is an incredibly busy man. He, remember, he went across the lake to Gadara, healed the maniac, right? cast the devils out, got back in the boat, came back to the other side, and what did we see? Everybody's there waiting for him. Verse 40. Jesus begins to teach. Now you can read it in Mark and in Matthew and you can see he's teaching, he's giving a lesson. In the lesson, while the sermon is going on, in Matthew's gospel it says, while he spake these things, Jairus comes in. Could, guys, I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. If somebody walked up the aisle right now in the middle of my sermon and said, wait, wait, pastor, pastor, I need you to come to my house and pray. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, everybody just wait, I'll be back. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure I would handle it as graciously as Jesus did. But Jesus seen the need of Jairus' heart. He did. He, he left everybody. He said, guys, okay, I think that's enough for now. I'm going to I'm going to head off with this guy, and down he goes. And as he went, the Bible says in, in Luke 8, what, verse 42, the people thronged him. So Jairus is an unexpected uh, interruption in, in the schedule. Don't you guys love it when you have a busy day and something else pops up in the middle of a busy day that you weren't expecting to take care of and now you have to take care of it? Don't you love that? Don't you handle it patiently and graciously? You just say, praise the Lord. No problem. Hardly any of us do. And now as he's going, the people are thronging him. So it's, it's not quite paparazzi, right? But it's kind of, it's, it's going that direction where people are coming around going, oh, oh, it's you. Oh, Jesus. Hey, I was there at your last sermon. Oh, it's good to see you. And then this person on this side, oh, Jesus, I've wanted to meet you so long. Oh, Jesus, wait, let's get a selfie. Oh, yes. And then this one's over here. Oh, Jesus, hey, please pray for me. Oh, I just got married. My mother-in-law's a piece of work. Please pray for me. Okay. And just one after another and people are just wanting to bump into him, just, you know, shake his hand, hug him, whatever. Thronging him pressing him. How, how do you think you'd handle that? Uh, right, most of us have no clue what this feels like. When we walk down the street, people, you know, tend to move away. <laughs> nah. <laughs> right, very few of us know what this feels like. I, I don't, except for a few strange occasions. Years ago, we had a medical missionary come visit us in Malawi. His name was Paul Saselchek. And he had done this for years. He brought, he was a nurse in the States, he would bring suitcases filled with medicine and give it away for free. Um, right? He would, we would schedule it so that we'd go to a clinic. The Malawian would have to see the doctor, then come to Brother Soselchik with the script, and he would give the medicine for free. But the catch was you have to hear the gospel first. So, of course, we're not going to force anyone to convert or get saved. We would help anybody. It doesn't matter, atheist, uh, uh, Muslim, didn't matter but they had to at least allow one of our church members to give them the gospel before they go through the process of doctor and then having the script filled. Brother Soselchik told me, he said, Brother Flick, I'll be happy to visit you in Malawi, but no advertising. Do not tell anyone that we're going to have this medical gospel clinic. I thought, well, okay, now... You're flying halfway around the world to do this. That doesn't seem right. I mean, okay, maybe he's trying to be humble. He doesn't want the attention, but come on. 
We want people to come around so we can give them the gospel, give them some medicine, help them physically, spiritually. Come on. So what do I do? I ignore the guy who's been doing it for 20 years. And me as a brand new missionary, I've been there, what, two years? I said, let's tell everybody. Free medicine. (laughs) Wow. So 8 a.m., Monday morning, we open the doors to the clinic. We have about 25 of our church members at the clinic with Bibles and tracts ready to witness to everybody that comes. And brother, sister, for eight hours straight, our church members nonstop, every single one of them had somebody they were talking to about the Lord. Brother Soselchek said, Brother Flick, you are not leaving my side the whole day. I said, okay. I mean, he, he looked like it was a threat. I said, okay, I won't. Because he doesn't know the language. I knew the language at the time. He said, you're my interpreter, and I don't know what to do. So I sat in the clinic with him in, in our own room, and then I would explain in Chichewa to the people how to take the medicine and so forth. So I did not see what was going on in the rest of the building. I would peek my head out the window, and I saw our church members witnessing, you know, because I could see that. I did not realize that the building had filled to capacity. And when I say capacity like a minibus on a bad day. The the people were in there like sardines in that building. Now, Brother Soselchik said, I will be at the clinic from 8 a.m. to 12 noon. Then we're done. He he was getting slightly older. He said, I need to go home and rest. By, By 12 noon, there were so many people with so many scripts, and they were banging on that door trying to get in to get their medicine. I, I, Brother Soselchek looked at me and he said, did you advertise? I said, no. <laughs> he said, Brother Flick, I told you not to advertise. I said, I'm so sorry, brother, but they're all here. He said, all right, well, let's just get it done. We were there till 5 p.m. And at 5 p.m., he was out of medicine. I opened the door, I couldn't get out. That, that lobby area was so filled with people, I had to announce to them, Manquala palibe, there's no more medicine. And they went, ah, no, no, but you said, but you said, because we had advertised. And I, I said, folks, you've got to let us leave. They said, We're, you're not leaving until we get there. I said, please let us through. So Brother Soselchik said, you got to get me out of this, buddy. I said, okay, here we go. So it was my first time to feel thronged. <laughs> I just, like a rugby player going for the, <laughs> I'm just going through, you know. And I, I, I parted, the, parted the crowd as best I could, and Brother Soselchik just came right out behind me. Whew, the people were just nonstop. You know what? That made me very nervous, and that made him very angry. For Jesus, right, I wanted to step out and say, everybody go home. Not Jesus. So patient. So gracious, everybody just trying to get near. He doesn't mind. Did you know that all of you, as many of you, want to draw nigh to God? We can all come together. Wouldn't bother him a bit if the whole church said, let's get as close as we can all at one time. No problem at all. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to let somebody else get close first and then it's your turn. You can all do it together. Thronging him doesn't bother him. You know what Jesus says in verse 45? Who touched me? He's a busy man. His sermon got interrupted. He's tired from this journey. He's preaching. Now he's traveling. People are all over him. And somebody down low, crawling on the ground, has grabbed hold of his garment, and he stops. 
Whoop, come to a halt. Whoop, stop, stop. Who touched me? And, and, and even Peter says, <laughs> come on, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? We all touched you. We can give you a long list. We're all here. We're all touching you. He said, no, 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 no. I, 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 don't, I don't mean just this casual little touch. I'm talking about somebody touched me. Somebody just got a hold of me. And it wasn't just your average passing, hey, look at this moment I had with this popular figure that everybody's talking about. Somebody just really got a hold of me. You know, we talk, and I've preached about it for years, and I, and I still, I think this is right. We need the touch of God on our lives. Amen? Is that right? You, you need to be seeking to have God's hand on your life in a special way. Let's stop thinking that just this casual Christianity is enough. If I can put it the biblical way, stop being lukewarm. Right? Have that touch from God. But I wonder on God's side if He doesn't want this. God's up in heaven saying, I wish, so, I wish somebody would touch me. There's a few people down there praying for the touch of God on their lives. I wish that I had the touch of a sincere, broken-hearted man or woman on my garment. I wish that somebody would come humbly, sincerely, genuinely, desperately, honestly, crawling into the throne room just to grab a hold of his garment and say, Lord, I don't want to go home the same. I've been dealing with this issue for 12 years, and no matter what I try, it's never any better. So, Lord, nothing, listen, nothing is going to stop me today. Jesus doesn't mind. This is another interruption. Jesus easily could have said, Madam, please, somebody's daughter is dying. I don't have time to deal with you too. Get in line. But he didn't. He didn't mind the imposition. He never minds a sinner touching him in this sincere way. The prophet Isaiah rebuked the nation of Israel by saying this, and please listen closely. Isaiah 64, verse 7. He said, There is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. You know, God's waiting on somebody to stir up himself to take hold of God. To stir up himself. You shouldn't have to wait on your pastor to get all emotional, excited, and frothing at the mouth and okay, because he put so much, you know, oomph into it, then I'll no no. Shouldn't shouldn't drawing nigh to Christ be enough of a motivation for you to stir yourself up? This great power, the saving power, the changing power, shouldn't that be enough to get you out of your chair, onto your knees, crawling if you have to? No one's going to stop me. I'm going to get a hold of him. Sometimes we feel bad for asking for help. We wonder, maybe you've asked this question, why would God care about somebody like me? Right? Who am I? I'm insignificant. I'm, I'm not making that big of a difference in the world or in my church, my home, my community. I, you kind of start to feel useless. Can I just say, first of all, that's probably a lie from the devil that you need to bring that thought captive and throw it out. 
But also you need to understand that Jesus is not comparing problems, going, this person has a bigger problem than you, so I'm going to help this one and not you. Or this one, this, is a, this guy's a pastor, this guy's a missionary, this lady you know, runs an orphanage and has this and that ministry, so I'm going to help them, but I won't help you. That's not how Jesus views it. Jesus doesn't mind that you don't have a title or that you're not well-known. The lady with the issue of blood, was her problem as serious or as urgent as Jairus' problem? No. Jairus' daughter is about to die, and in the process of going, the daughter did die. So, so the lesson you learn from that is, okay, maybe my problem isn't as big as some other people's problems, but Jesus is still interested in it. And I'm still allowed to take it to him, and he cares about that thing. He doesn't mind me asking. I'm not bothering him. Jesus doesn't mind the imposition, and might I also say he doesn't mind the impossible. He doesn't mind the impossible. In verse 49, when they say the daughter is dead, trouble not the master. You might think, well, now that it's done, now that it's gone this far, there's no reason to keep trying. You know, there are a lot of people in life that reach a certain point and things fall apart and they say, that's it. That's, I'm drawing the line there. God did not step in in time to fix that problem. So now that it's gone this far, he must not love me, must not care, and they quit trying. Sometimes our spiritual lives get so messy. You backslide so far, you don't think Jesus would have you back. You look at your situation as impossible. Jesus doesn't mind the impossible. You bring that to him, you'd be surprised what he might do with it. Verse 50, when Jesus heard it, he answered saying, fear not. Believe only and she shall be made whole. What if you're the parent? Can you just put your self in Jairus' shoes for a moment. Mrs. Jairus, put yourself in her shoes just for a moment. Your daughter has just passed. Your 12-year-old. That's, that's already heart-wrenching, yes? I, I, I struggle to even bring that to my mind, to hear that about my own children. Now put yourself in their shoes and there's Jesus saying, don't worry. Don't even weep. If you're like me, I might struggle with that promise. I might struggle to be obedient right there. I'd say, Lord, I, I know you're the Lord, but my daughter just passed. Why, 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 why should I continue to hold on? Take your Bible, come to hold this, get John chapter 11. Guys, it's right about the time that we give up on a situation that's when we really see the great patience of Jesus. We think that God should be in a hurry to fix our problems. We fail to remember that God is never early and God is never late. He's always right on time. God is going to do something. Please listen to this. Please. You need, you need to hear this even if you're not facing some drastic problem today. God is going to do something about this problem of yours eventually. And I mean that. I did not say he's going to fix the problem during this lifetime. But God will tend to it. He will do something about it. 
the injustices that have happened in your life. You say, this isn't fair. This should never have happened to me. Did you know all of that stuff is logged away in heaven and God will tend to it eventually? All of it. Every pain, every sorrow, every tear, the Bible says God keeps it in a special bottle. He remembers all of it. So when we bring our heartbroken, hopeless, helpless situations, the impossible stuff, and say, God, there's no way this can come right. Give Him a chance to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. That's what Jesus is asking for here. Give me a chance. Just let me show you what I can do. John 11 and verse 23, you know that Lazarus is dead. Jesus now is talking to Martha and He says unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. Verse 24, Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again. Shame, that one doesn't believe it. But verse 24, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Here's what we say, God, okay, I, I know you'll eventually do something. What if, what if God today, this stress, this, uh, this source of tension or stress in your life, what if God is trying to say today, calm down, stop worrying about it so much. Stop worrying about it at all. I am going to, I'm going to help. I'm going to step in. You can let go of it. You can cast your care upon me. I don't mind. I care for you. Why do we struggle so much to believe that in the moment? Why do we wait five or ten years after the problem is solved to look back and go, God, I'm so sorry. I didn't trust you more. I didn't believe in that moment that you do care. You do love. You, do, you were just waiting for the perfect moment to step in. Martha, like many of us, okay, yes, yes, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection at the end. I, yes, yes, Jesus, I, I've had discipleship. I know that. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, you, you don't need to wait for a prophetical event. You just needed to wait for me. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. What? Believest thou this? Ooh. Now, now Mar Martha does not have the benefit of the New Testament. She doesn't know the mystery of the rapture yet. Right? That people, some people will not die. She doesn't know that. Jesus has alluded to it here, but she doesn't understand that doctrine. And now Jesus is going to say, do you believe that? Her answer, this is, I love her answer. Yay, Lord. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you said it, okay. Uh, what's the other option? No, I don't believe it. I <laughs> mean, Yea, Lord, verse 27, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. You know what her answer is? Um, okay, I know you're the Son of God. I know that you're the, you're the Messiah. I have no clue what you just said, though, about the resurrection. <laughs> I don't know how that promise applies to my situation. I know this. My brother's been in the grave for four days. And I know you're the Son of God. And as far as I can see, we missed our chance. Right? Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So, Lord, we missed our chance. Lord, you relate. How many of you would like to say that sometimes to the Lord? Lord, you're running a little late here. <laughs> I don't know if you've been getting my emails, but I'm in a deep mess. 
right? The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. He's waiting for just the right time. You know what He says? Believe only. Believe only. In some cases, Luke 8, Jesus is just about to fix it right now. In Lazarus' case, it took four days, right? Lazarus died, then four days later. It took a little longer. And then in some cases, it doesn't get fixed in this lifetime. Devil goes up to see the Lord. And the Lord says to Satan, Satan, have you beheld my servant Job? He loves me. He fears me. He eschews evil. He hates it. Satan says, yeah, that's because you keep blessing him. Look, he's rich, he prospers, he has a wife, ten kids, servants, camels, oxen, donkey. He has everything a man could wish. And your hedge is around him. You let me take that. You let me get in there, past that hedge, and touch his life and mess things up. He'll curse you to your face. The Lord said, nah, not my servant. Go ahead. I'll take the hedge down. Force field comes down. Satan steps in and in one day, you know the story, right? Job lost it all. Guys, it's one thing for the servant to show up and go, don't bother the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. It's another thing when the servant shows up and says, Job, I know you pray for your kids every day. Every day you offer sacrifices for the every day. Job, I, I don't know how to tell you this. They're all gone. All of them. How do you break that news to somebody? What did Job do with that? Well, the Bible says he steps in and he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, Later on in that same book, what Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. He says, I, I, I don't understand how God works or why he works the way he does. All I know is I trust him so much that even if he lets me die, I'm going to go to my grave saying, praise the Lord. Boy, this is a tough message to preach. You have no idea how much I don't want to preach this sermon. I got to church early and I was in the back praying. I said, God, please don't test me with this. Please don't test me with this. I don't know if I have the fortitude, the, the endurance. God, I want to be a faithful man, but please don't test my faith. It's just those one, it's that one phone call you get. It's the worst news of your life. And it's in that very moment. This is why you need to be in church on days like today so you can hear a message while you're a bit calm in your heart because you don't want to wait until that horrible news comes through and then on that day try to get spiritual. Oh, you better start getting close to God now and understanding His promises and how He works now so that you're ready. Build that faith up now so that on that rough day, say, Lord... I have no idea why you'd let that happen, but I trust you.
I trust you. The Bible says about Job, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job. Listen to this part. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Listen to this. He said, you've seen the end of the Lord. Do you know how so many, so many people never get to the end of it? They don't see the end of the Lord. They see the beginning. Lord, please save me. Wash away my sins. Give me a new life. Fix my problems. God steps in and turns things around and changes your life and you're a new creature. And then, bam, something horrible happens. You go, okay, God, that's too big. That's, it's impossible. There's no way back. There's no way to fix this. God, you have just forsaken me. And they don't stick around to see how that story ends. Job, he saw the end of the Lord. What happens at the end of the book of Job? God gives it all back to him double, right? How many of you read the end of Job? You remember that part? He gets it back double, right? You know what Job had before all the trouble happened? He had a walk with God. You know what he got by the end of that? That walk with God was twice as sweet. Double the faith. Because now he had seen how God works. And he knows, oh, that's how God can get me through. It looked impossible, but God took care of it. You know what you might want to consider? Some of you might be tempted this morning to maybe bring yourself to an altar, put yourself before the Lord and say, Lord, listen, I, I don't know what I have to offer. It looks fairly impossible that you could use somebody like me. Some of you, maybe you think you're past your expiration date. Getting up and, you know, a few gray hairs are starting to show themselves here and there. Just a few. You think, you know, I've, I've wasted so much time already. If I were to come forward, now I'm 50, I'm 60. I, I, could God actually use somebody like me? You think it's impossible. And then God would reach down and go, no, no, I want to use you. I want to put you into the ministry. I, 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 want, I want to use you to bring other people to Christ. You know our response to that? <laughs> no, okay, not me. Luke chapter 8, verse number 53. They laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Jesus does not mind. He doesn't mind the imposition. He doesn't mind the impossible. You know what Jesus cannot put up with? Insincerity and indifference. If Jesus said, hang on. Give me a chance to work. I'm going to use you. D don't laugh at him. Don't scoff at that. Don't take that lightly. Don't walk off and go, that, oh, come on, that can't, no, forget it, man. That's not right. That can't happen. Not with me. It could happen for somebody else, not for me. Jesus said, all right, well, since you're not interested. He, they didn't even give Jesus a chance to explain. Nor did they want an explanation. They just blew it off. And thought, no, I don't, I'm not interested in that. And Jesus said, okay, you can just go wait outside while I do something special for the others that are watching for this inner circle. Jesus doesn't mind the impossible. He doesn't mind the imposition. But you need to take that seriously. I want to close this morning's sermon just by telling you about a story that 
I don't want to say it shaped my life, but it certainly played a big, a big role as a young Christian. I was in Bible school, and there was a man that came to visit the church named Aaron Samples. He and his brother Doug Samples were policemen in Jacksonville, Florida. They had gotten saved, and they were out on the streets every week preaching in the open air, trying to reach people for Christ. Doug became a pastor. Aaron Samples came down with cancer, brain cancer. Eventually, they had to take out part of his brain. And then the cancer spread to his eyes. They had to take out one of his eyes. Then they took out another eye. So now Aaron was blind. The brain cancer had come back. It was starting to spread to other parts of his body. Lo and behold, beyond the minds of science, his wife fell pregnant. And he prayed and he said, God, just give, give me enough time to see my baby born. And that little baby, born healthy, man, we praised God. Oh, we were praying so much for that family. And when you know it, just a couple of months after that baby was born, they tested the baby, found out the cancer was in that baby. They were going to have to take the baby's eyes. And Aaron Samples visited the church. He wasn't a member of, this, of our church, but he would visit often. And, of course, he had to have somebody help him up the steps, and they, they stood him behind the pulpit, and he stood and testified, and he could not stop smiling. That man just stood there. You could see the scars, and you could, you know, he covered up fairly well, but you could see that he was affected. He stood there, and he said, Folks, I don't want any of you to feel sorry for me. I get to feel the presence of God in a special way. I've gotten to see and feel God's uh, hand on my life. And he just went on and on for about 15 minutes bragging on the Lord. And I sat there, a young man, just what, 22, 23 years old, thinking to myself, there is no way that I could ever go through that. And you know what? Right now today, with the grace God has provided for me today, I still don't think I could go through that. But I know this, if I were to go through that, God's grace would be sufficient in that moment. And I learned, watching that man, whew, nothing's too big for the Lord. If he can get a man through this type of situation, I have nothing to worry about. The Jesus that lives in me lives in him quite big enough to handle it. A few months later, Brother Samples passed away. That funeral, I didn't attend the funeral. I, had to, I, I think I was working or something. But... <laughs> the people at the funeral, nobody, nobody cried. This was his, his wish, his, his uh, design. He said, I, this is a, my suffering's over. I'm, pre I'm absent from the body, present with the Lord. So I want everybody at the funeral to just hoop and holler and rejoice and sing and shout. And they did. <laughs> they did. They just had a time like a small revival broke out. And you know, just a few months later, that baby miraculously, cancer was gone. You say, but Brother Mike, God didn't show up. He didn't, he didn't heal Brother Samples in time. He let him die. He, let, he didn't even get to see his baby better. No, no, no. You don't understand. That's not the end of the story. You've you, you got to see the end of the Lord. The Lord's story doesn't end with a death on the cross. It doesn't end with three days in the grave. It ends after the three days rising again. The reason we as Christians have so much hope in desperate situations is because Jesus showed us not even death is the end of the story. 
You might have to wait a while, but he will make it all right. I don't know what you might be struggling with, but you're not going to be bothering the Lord at all to bring it to him and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this, but here you go. The greatest compliment you can give him is to go through those tough times of life walking with faith. That's the greatest compliment you'll give the Lord this side of glory. Let's all stand if you would please. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Perhaps today you've come and you just feel like you're past fixing and past using and that there's no way Jesus could possibly step in and make this right. You know what Jesus said? This same story, if you read it in Matthew, Jesus said, give place. Give place. What he's saying is, give me a chance. You say she's dead, let me have a chance. Let me in. I'm not promising you today that if you come forward to pray, your problems are going to disappear. I'm just saying, give place. Give him a chance. God forbid, it doesn't get fixed in this life. As a follower of Christ, you have the great hope that he will eventually tend to that problem. He will make the wrong right. Our story doesn't end at a grave. I, I was tempted to break this sermon down and preach it in parts because that lady grabbing onto his garment is such a great example. I mentioned it today, but I, I didn't spend a long time on it. Perhaps some of you need to stir yourself to take hold of God. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why this is connected. You need to grab hold of his garment today because maybe one day, months or years from now, somebody's going to show up at your house with really bad news. And you need to be ready. Say, Lord, I trust you. I don't know why you let this happen, but I'm going to give you a chance to work. Today we talked about how Jesus has power to save. If you've never been saved today, He can do it immediately. Immediately. If you've never been born again, today you can call upon His name. Lord, I've committed more sins than I can remember. I can't find peace in my heart doing anything else. So, Lord, I'm, I'm coming to you full of sin. You accept him as your Savior, you'll walk out full of forgiveness, full of joy, full of purpose, full of hope. So if you've never done that, 
In just a moment, I'm going to pray and dismiss the service. You come and find me. I'd be happy. If you have questions about it, happy to walk you through it and show you how you can be saved. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this, uh, the way that Jesus handled these things. What a lesson it gives us. What hope it gives us. Thank you, Lord, that you're not bothered by us. Our constant imperfections and we're a needy people. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your great patience. Lord, I thank you how you can take an impossible situation and turn it around. You can move mountains into seas. You can take down Goliaths. And Lord, even, even death, even the grave doesn't end what you can do. So Father, we trust you this morning, no matter what's going on, that you'll give us a way through it. And we're, we're happy to wait on you. As hard as it might be. Father, please help us to hold on to what we've heard this morning. And on that tough and difficult day, might you bring to remembrance this great patience and love that we've read about. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. Thank you so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock at the...